and you got to stay monogamous. I'm like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It also I, says where two or three are gathered. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> There's no point to a woman's orgasm, so women shouldn't enjoy sex. And I would beg to differ. There's a big point to it. I feel bad when I meet women that tell me they've never had an orgasm. I'm like, why are you alive? Like, why, you know, like, you're not living life. Uh, okay, low perspective. There, there are the good things in your life. <laughs> why are you alive? Oh, man. <laughs> Welcome to episode 57 of Pub Theology Live. Will it be the sexiest episode yet? Stay tuned. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> Pub Theology Live is a weekly conversation on life and faith over a craft brewed pint. Maybe a fine wine or perhaps tonight, uh, yeah, gin and tonic, maybe a bourbon. You can watch us live Tuesdays, 9 p.m. Eastern at pubtheology.com. And you can listen anytime on SoundCloud, Stitcher, or iTunes. You can also check us out on the New Thought channel on your Roku or other streaming device. Tonight's episode is brought to you by our official sponsors. First up is Casual Priest, the maker of fine clergy duds based in Sweden. Tailored, modern, confident, and stylish. Um, you can win free gear from Casual Priest by joining in our conversation and leaving a message on the Casual Priest hotline 980-PT-LIVE-0 or 980-785-785. 4830 for those of you without letters on your phone that is a voicemail leave us a question a comment a dissension an argument whatever it is we will entertain it we will possibly play it on air but we will definitely definitely address it you can also join a conversation on twitter or facebook and use the hashtag pt live with your comments and shout out to some of you we've got like a random one or two random listeners who leave comments while they're listening on SoundCloud. That's pretty cool. So so shout out to all you SoundCloud commenters and listeners who throw you in the pot for some casual free stuff as well. I just made an executive decision. Mm. I was it. thinking it sounds like a good idea. <laughs> who knew how to come up with that? <laughs> and, um, and we expect some good comments tonight for this show, just saying. And our wine sponsor is Wink Wine Club, spelled W-I-N-C. They feature superbly crafted wines delivered right to your door. Get started at trywink.com slash ptlive for $20 off your first order and other cool savings. And I want to shout out to a um, listener and friend, Amanda, who uh, ordered, who started the Wink subscription through our podcast. I want to thank you for doing that. And she's, she's enjoying some wine. Get your wine. Absolutely. And I will be recording an episode at the Wild Goose Festival in July, July 13 to 16 in Hot Springs, North Carolina. What is the Wild Goose, you ask? It is an art, music, justice, and spirituality festival. It's kind of, you know, open-minded folks hanging out, doing music, telling stories, talking about God and life and all kinds of good stuff. Uh, and it, it's really cool. And I'm going to be recording a live episode there Saturday night. So you can come check that out and uh, enjoy the episode. Have a beer with me in the beer tent. 
And if you don't have your tickets yet, use the code GooseCast17 and get 25% off your tickets. So check it out. Well, let's get to it, friends. Tonight, the sex episode. Brian, did you have to do a shot before you uh, actually did this episode? (laughs) Three shots. So we discuss how uh, the church approaches sex. Is there a, the possibility of a more candid and open conversation about sex in our churches, in our faith settings, in our faith communities? Has the abstinence movement backfired? Does waiting to have sex until you're married, does that lead to better sex and a better married life or doesn't it? We'll discuss. Plus, what space is there in our faith communities for people who are struggling in relationships? If you're divorced or in a struggling relationship, is the church a helpful, good, welcoming place to be? And we'll get into some body image stuff and how to be comfortable in your own skin as well. So a serious episode. My name is Brian Burkoff. I am pastor of Holland UCC in Holland, Michigan and author of the book, Pub Theology, Beer, Conversation, and God. And tonight I am drinking a PC Pills. It's a an American hopped Pilsner, pleasantly crisp, perfectly clean, and profoundly crushable from Founders Brewing. Just up the so road. So you're, you're drinking a politically correct Pilsner? Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> wow. For this sex episode? <laughs> there it is. That'll keep me on the straight and narrow tonight. So... <laughs> Mind your P's and Q's and drink your PC pills. <laughs> With us tonight, as usual, Ogan Holder, Tia Simmons. Welcome, guys. Punchy tonight. Hi, Brian. I am Reverend Ogan Holder, uh, Unity on the River in Amesbury, and I'm going the opposite direction. I'm drinking, in terms of content, an Allagash Triple Ale, and it is a big bottle. This is like a pint. It looks like mm. a wine bottle. <laughs> it's a, it's, yeah, it's got a little, it's got a cork on it. It's all fancy. So hopefully um, uh, I won't injure somebody, meaning myself, as I <laughs> pop this cork. You might need all of that tonight. I might, I might, it's going to get interesting. Um, yeah. But I'm looking forward to that. Author of uh, Rants to Revelations. Um, oh, there we go. <laughs> Popping his cork. There it is. <laughs> hopefully Couldn't not. Resist. Not too early, but just on time. All right. What you got going, Tina? This is uh, Tina Simmons, author of Zandrail, Being Human is Overrated, as T. Griffin. And tonight I'm drinking Columbia Crest uh, Merlot. We had been to a Meals on Wheels um, fundraiser on Friday, and I won this. So I'm drinking it. It's awesome. It's good wine. Free wine. Well done. Well done. So our top three uh, cities for listeners this week, uh, just giving a little update. Uh, we recently realized we could check on that, uh, or at least I realized. <laughs> Number one, Newburyport, Massachusetts. Yeah, Woo! baby. That's my hometown. They, you were whining so bad last week. They felt bad for you. <laughs> yeah, they came through. They heard Ogan loud and clear. It's either that or I actually went back and listened to some episodes this week. So that might have been it. <laughs> he tilted that, the scales. That might have been just me. Who knows? <laughs> Number two, second most listeners from Chicago. Wow. So thank you, Windy City. And number three, Portland. It's my people. 
Kaboom. So thanks to all our listeners, wherever you are tuning in from. You know, what's really funny, Brian, is I keep saying that, but I don't know a single person in Portland that listens to this show. I was going to ask. Nope. That's unless, all right. Unless it's Casey and Emma, two of the guests we've had on. Listen, Portland knows a good show when it hears one. So That's right. Just going to say. So what is the best or worst relationship advice you've ever received? Um, for me, that answer is actually the same thing. Which, <laughs> which is, don't go to bed angry. We've heard ah. that a lot. Don't go to bed angry. Resolve the thing. Go to bed at peace. The problem is sometimes that makes for like conversations that might last till two, three, four in the morning. Everybody's tired. We're mm. hungry. We've, we're not fighting fair anymore. It's like not fun. You're saying things that you shouldn't say because the filter's down because you're so exhausted. So, yeah, I think don't go to bed angry if you can. But if you realize it's getting late, people are getting tired. Just like put a pin in it and pick it up after a good night's sleep. Because after a good night's sleep, you might realize I didn't need to be angry in the first place. Mm. So don't go to bed while you're angry. Is that is that in the Bible or is that from Elton John? Um, is there a difference? <laughs> I think it's both, right? Yeah. Exactly. I, I don't know. I don't know about that again. Um, I, as an internal processor. Um, I agree with your last statement that sometimes you just need to go to bed and sleep on it and realize the next day that it's not as big of a deal as you thought it was. So I don't necessarily think staying up and hashing it out is beneficial all the time. Well, there so you go. I see your assessment um, best and worst. Yeah. So. yeah. Don't let the sun go down on me. <laughs> I love how he types it in the chat box. And then he <laughs> <laughs> like he's reading it back to himself. <laughs> I didn't remember what I was going to say there. As it says in Elton 3, verse 12. Taking notes in the chat box. Uh, how about you, Tina? Best, best or worst relationship advice? Um, well, you know, the funny thing is the, the best relationship advice I got, and you, you two would probably know this uh, verse much better than I would, but it actually came from the Bible. Um, but it was explained to me in a way that totally makes sense. Um, after my divorce, my sister said to me, she said, there's a, you know, the Bible verse about being evenly yoked. That really makes sense. You know, when you're younger and you go for that complete opposite of you and you kind of like butt heads and graded each other and kind of learn more about yourself. But, and I guess some people can grow together that way, but there has to be certain elements of your personality that are equal. Um, so that, you hold an equal part in the relationship, if that makes sense, because otherwise I, you know, one person suppressing their relationship or, you know what I mean? Like, it's just, there's something about being evenly yoked with somebody else. And it's, it's not, there, there's just different aspects of your personality that I feel that that relates to that you need to be evenly yoked. Does that make any sense? It does. There, there are two sayings that, that seemingly contradict each other that go along with your point, which is, they're saying like opposites attract, mm -hmm. but then there's the birds of a feather flock together. And I think the birds of the feather Man. flocking together um, works better long-term and for peace of mind in relationship than, than the opposites attract. Now you don't want somebody who's so identical to yourself, but there's gotta be enough. It's gotta be more of the circles overlapping than not. Yeah. That, yeah, that there's a little, so you can, 
challenge each other and help each other grow in that way, but you're not constantly battling each other, that it's nobody can go anywhere. There you go. And you, Sir Brian, what is your sage wisdom? Yeah, I think uh, this is maybe for like in a dating setting. Um, and it's obvious and everybody's heard it, but it's simply be yourself. Uh, and I think it can be really easy to try to be something you're not, especially when you're trying to initiate a relationship. But I think that can happen even as you go farther into a relationship. And I think the more you can be yourself and find connection and acceptance and love from someone when you're who you are and they feel comfortable being who they are, then that's that's a good thing. And you want that uh, because it's not going to not going to last long if uh, if you can't just be who you are and be okay with who you are. Does that make well, sense? well said there. There's an uh, I'm reading a book. I just got done one book and reading another book by a philosopher um, called uh, Alain de Bonton and he, he one of the first books that he wrote in his 20s that became a hit it was kind of a, a fiction book but it's called essays in love and uh it, it chronicles a fictional relationship between two people from you know the earliest attraction to their relationship coming to like a flame out end but along the along the way in his writings he's talking about you know how we perceive love understand love and and, and all the misunderstandings of love that we have. But he has this great quote where he says, you want somebody who loves you. I'm paraphrasing. You want somebody who loves you exactly for who you are. But knowing who you are, how can you trust them? Because they fell in love with you in the first <laughs> A little self-deprecation there. Well done. Right. Hilarious. All right. Well done. Brian, what's the worst advice you ever got? Hmm. Good question. Well... No, well, this was probably also good advice. Uh, when I was when I was going to propose to my wife, I first went and met her dad for permission. Uh, but we had only been dating three months, and I said, "You know, I'd like to marry your daughter." And he's like, uh, "Why don't you think about giving it some more time?" You know, I would say that's good advice. Yeah, that was wise. I don't know if I listened, but it good advice. <laughs> Did, did you listen? What? 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 what no, was... I didn't listen. We. I think we were engaged within a week or two after I had that conversation. But he was, you know, it was a wise thing. Yeah. So you Take... defied your father-in-law right in the beginning. Yeah, it just started Not... right on. I know. <laughs> I know. But I'm sure it earned brownie points with his wife. Maybe, maybe, and but you know, so like in my case, things have worked out and feel very blessed but if i was counseling someone and when i am counseling someone taking a little more time never is a bad idea yeah. well All especially right. when you're young and you're still figuring yourself out you know <laughs> very true absolutely and age and stage of life obviously has a lot to do with it we were like mm -hmm. 27 at the time so we weren't in high school yeah. or just out of college but still i got i got married at 24 i do not regret it and in any way, shape, or form, if I had to go back, I would do it all over again, exactly the same way. And I always tell people in their 20s, don't get married. You have no idea who you are. I had no idea who I was. Also true. I was still figuring out who I was for like the first seven, eight years of my marriage. And so was she. And sometimes that did not go so well. Just saying. Yeah, that's true. That's you really know, true. Good to know these things going in. No doubt. No doubt. So Ellen uh, DeGeneres speaking about body and being 
comfortable with yourself. She says, to me, beauty is about being comfortable in your own skin. It's about knowing and accepting who you are. So the question is, why is why is that so difficult in our culture? And are there things you've done that have helped you be more comfortable with who you are? Uh, and how how can we help other people do the same? Well, <clears throat> excuse me, I think the reason in our culture, like we hear this all over the place about how people should be more comfortable in their skin and who they are. But then, I mean, if you read comments that, you know, like trolls and whatnot, like people get belittled all the time. I just read an article today from a model who is like a size four who got told she was too heavy in Japan. She got, she was too heavy to um, do the runway that they wanted her to do. And they told her to just drink water for the next 24 hours. And I mean, she's a twig. I mean, if you saw pictures of her. So that's, you know, that's the message we're getting on one side. We're getting Photoshopped, um, yeah. you know, celebrities. We're getting Snapchats that are completely filtered to make us look flawless. And then we're like, oh, you should be fine with who you are. So it's it's totally mixed messages. Yes, exactly. And and pretty people get all the nice stuff. I mean, that's 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 the that's the the uh, message that's out there with how celebrities are treated and um, you know, and, and there's, there's research to show this, that people who, who more meet the, the general view of what a culture thinks is attractive, you know, they get more stuff, they get more passes, they get more things offered them. They are treated nicer. Um, so we, we get this um, message bombarded Anna Sestina was saying both overtly and covertly that our physical appearance um, is um, matters more than that it should, you know, we, and that, you know, that, that not, not everyone is comfortable enough in their own skin at an early age that, that sometimes takes a long time to develop, you know, to my earlier point about, you know, taking the time to know who you are. Um, the thing, the thing that really did it for me, honestly, was, was the Enneagram, um, mm. the, the Enneagram is a personality assessment. It, when I first discovered it, and this is 20, I want to say 2010, 2009, maybe, um, it totally explained who I was and I became for the first time in my life. I was born in 74, so do the math. I'm in my 30s. For the first time in my life, I'm like, oh, who I am really makes sense. And I am okay with that. Um, but it took me that long and it took me that tool mm. to figure it out because it explained how I saw the world and how I saw myself. And, you know, all that time I was still thinking there was something I needed to do differently that maybe there was. Yes. Yeah. It helps you see that that's part of who you are. It's not just all these character flaws because you're different than someone else. That's part of what makes you Ogan. Like for better or for worse. Yes. It's what makes me, me. Um, and so I, I think it comes, I think it comes with time. It comes with maturity as well to be comfortable in your own skin. And we go through phases where at some point I think we're comfortable and then we maybe get a little uncomfortable because we've changed or worldview has changed and things happened. And then we you know, maybe fit into that comfort box again. But yeah, there's that, there's that. It's, it's um, funny you say that about the Enneagram because I was just thinking 
um, knowing my Myers Briggs, I've always known my Myers Briggs, but actually meeting other people like me. I think I think having other people that are like you, even though like you should be able to get along with everybody, having other people that are, are like you kind of justifies um, who you are. Like I have a super quirky, weird personality, you know, and it's it, you know, I kid around about having multiple personalities, but I see all these other people. Like I'm on a an, an, um, Facebook group with people of my Myers Briggs type, and they're they're all the same way. I mean, we also have to watch that we use it as an excuse to be a certain way. But I mean, I was I was 40 by the time I started really embracing who I was and being, you know, I grew up in corporate and it was like, you had to be a certain way you had. I mean, I, I was in my early twenties when I had a boss that told me that you don't show emotion at work. I'm an emotional person. I'm a feeler. So, you know, I had to really shut down a lot of my personality just to be who I was to take care of my family. And it wasn't fun. And now I'm and now we're that. All, and now we're all dealing with that. Oh, nice. That's right. And you love it. You sit there and make fun of me, but you're friends with me. So I know. You know what, you, that, what does that say about me? Back to that quote. Can just I be as weird as I am. You just hide it. <laughs> that is that is absolute that is absolutely true. I've met you. Yes. There's 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 a lot of personalities going on in there. And back to my point. <laughs> um Yes, birds of a flat feather, and I wouldn't say so much it justifies, but it it affirms, it, it reinforces, which is what I think you're saying. It reinforces us, it affirms that who we are is okay because there are others like us. Exactly right. And and you know, given given the the topic of our show tonight, that that extends into um, our sexual practices as well. There's so much stigma and taboo about what is okay and not okay when it comes to sexuality or how we practice uh, sex that, again, it's, it's um, you know, finding, like we said earlier at the beginning, finding someone who relates to who you are. Um, and for a lot of people around sex and what they like and don't like about sex, there is a lot of shame and embarrassment because they've been told this is weird, this is kinky, this is wrong, this is, uh, you know, and yeah, I don't, I don't think there are any, there, there are really any wrongs as long as, you know, we got two consenting adults and they're into Okay, okay, so you're jumping us right into the much-awaited territory for tonight's discussion. So um, I want to lead us into this, and we can go, you know, a few directions, but I just want to lead us into uh, this article uh, a woman recently detailed how the abstinence movement that is no sex at all uh, until you're married how it affected her sex life and marriage she uh, wrote an article called my virginity mistake and she pledged herself to jesus at a purity ceremony at age 14 remained a virgin until she married uh, six years later it wound up divorced after she and her husband couldn't make things work in the bedroom Looking back, she states if she had not insisted on waiting for sex until marriage, she could have prevented her divorce. She said, I took an abstinence pledge hoping it would ensure a strong marriage. Instead, it led to a quick divorce. So does the church create a place where there can be multiple approaches or we can have honest and healthy conversations about sex? Well, I think most churches are pretty rigid about it. Mm, I would say most. I'd say it depends on which church we're talking about. I would say most. Thank you. <laughs> Some of them have come a long way that used to be very rigid. I would say all of them but three. I, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. Some have come a long way. Um and, and they're those they're still, you know, coming 
along, but <clears throat> no pun intended. But the, I, I guess my my point is like, there's still that stigma out there that you know, you, you should save yourself or, and it's even a double standard, you know, like it's okay for guys to go out and do whatever they want. But you know, if a girl sleeps around, she's, she gets called names and, and whatnot. And so, no, I'm, 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 I'm going to disagree with you on that because if you are in a fairly strict evangelical um, Christian community or traditional community, it's not okay for the guys to, to do that. They get um, the same amount of heat. Oh, absolutely. Okay. I would mm. pub well, yeah, public publicly at least. Um, no. And and this is kind of me speaking from experience of I'm using my experience in my community that, that I grew up in where yeah. where where it was it was a case of, you know, teenagers gonna be teenagers and the the the, the public image was one of yes, abstinence and purity when behind the scenes we really weren't because teenagers be teenagers but we knew that if we among our other christian friends said here's what we were doing we would be shunned not shunned out of the community but yeah given a hard time male or female so you bring you bring up a really good point is because you know as teenagers or young adults that you have you have to hide that part you're you're not learning about the beauty of physical touch you're not learning about the beauty of sex and and that beautiful spiritual connection that you can have with another human being you know if if you're hiding it and it's a dirty little secret you know what i mean sure and you're also not yes. learning about you're not learning to be skillful at it i mean let's just call it what it is like any other part of aspect of a relationship you're not practicing you're not being skillful so so if you save yourself like the woman in this article you're saving yourself till marriage if two people come together who've never had sex before even as adults it's still we got to learn how to do this and if it's only the two of us talking about it and we have no other frame of reference or we haven't learned from anybody else then it may not go so well yeah yeah and i think i think tina's hitting on an important point i think that in many uh church cultures let's say especially evangelical church culture cultures there is a real shame associated with sex it's that's we don't talk about it or we talk about it in purely negative terms don't do it and those who do it are bad and we don't talk about the beauty of physical connection and physical relationship and so i think as you both have alluded to if you have if you grow up with that and then you know it's always been bad then you can't suddenly turn the switch once you're married and think oh this is you know supposed to be beautiful i think that shame thing is still there and you're, you have to get over that and i think that's a that can be a difficult thing it can be and the bible uh, a, a lot of this is um because of misinterpretations of what's in the bible go all the way back to genesis when adam and eve ate of the tree the knowledge of good and evil and they realized they were naked what does the bible say they were ashamed and right also made clothes so from the like from the first opening book of the mm. bible we are being told that you know being naked is something to be ashamed about all uh, right so we got so we got that going on and then we got a bunch of other stories you know that talk about about sex as lead into 
um, something wrong, quote unquote, in the eyes of God. Um, you know, a really good example is, um, I think is also in Genesis, um, uh, what's his name? Onan, the sin of Onan, which was often used as a whole. Are you guys familiar with this story? Mm-mm. She's shaking. All right. So uh, I forget who was involved, but I think Onan, he had a brother and the brother died and their father said, now you got to go take your brother's wife, which was kind of the practice. Take at his the wife. Time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So uh, he decides, well, if I go and get her pregnant, this is basically still my brother's kids. Uh, and as far as in the eyes of the community, this is still kind of like my brother's kids because this is his wife and I'm just stepping into his role. Mm-hmm. So according to the, in the Bible, in the story, uh, they're having sex and, and he pulls out before he ejaculates and spills the semen on the ground. Is, and apparently this was not good in the sight of God. This is what's there. So all of a sudden we have, we have, we have, this method of birth control being being sinful in the eyes of God. Right. But don't you think that's in a time when they, they were trying to have children and populate and, and but of course, you know, right. It was about, yes. it was about context, right. It was about that. But again, taken out of context, we're being, we're being told that this is wrong. This is, I think this is part of what um, um, fed into the narrative in a lot of um, earlier Christian communities and even present day ones that, that, um, that sex is about procreation. It's it's a dutiful thing. It's not about pleasure, mm-hmm. right? And and then in some cases, because the phrase used about spilling seed on the ground was not uh, good in the sight of the Lord, all of a sudden that came became about masturbation and that not being a godly thing. Um, so that's how that when I was a kid, that's how that story was presented to me about why is a kid I shouldn't masturbate. Like, go go tell a 14-year-old teenager, a boy, oh, yeah, but <laughs> don't masturbate. That's that's a sin. That's yeah. not okay. That's Ogun not is okay. scarred from having to read this little book as a kid called The Sin lot, of Onan. A lot of shame as a teenager. Can I just tell you? Lot of, and that messes with your head. Well, it does. Yeah. And, I, I mean, that's a lot of repressed energy and emotion. I mean... Uh, having an orgasm is actually extremely healthy for your body. It's very good for your body. And I've I've read articles on the internet about that were written that that there's no point to a woman's orgasm, so women shouldn't enjoy sex. And I would beg to differ. There's a big point to it. I feel bad when I meet women that tell me they've never had an orgasm. I'm like, why are you alive? Like, why you know, like, <laughs> you're not living life. Uh, okay, low perspective. There, there are the good things in life. <laughs> Why are you alive? Oh man! <laughs> I didn't mean that how I found it, but you know what I mean. Like, you know, oh, you, I think you, gotta you did. Live, you gotta enjoy. <laughs> you gotta enjoy. You know, your your stay here. We we're here for a reason. We're here to experience experience being human, and that's part of being human. It is, and 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 this goes back to what I say about a lot of churches have come a long way because I have over the years heard um, and seen evangelical ministers. No longer, no longer refer to to this. Um, so this idea of sex is just about procreation. I mean, they speak about the pleasure between a man and a wife. That a sex is a holy, pleasurable act. But the 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 caveat is it's reserved for a man and a wife, um, as opposed to just something we do as people, whether we are in a committed relationship with someone or if we're just dating. Um, so so there's there's been some, I think, uh, uh, in 
traditional evangelical churches some movement on this um and it's not just you know that that utilitarian uh, purpose but again this idea that um out of wedlock is is a sin is um you know is an antiquated and i think a dangerous idea as this story that you just referred to uh brian um, attest to because that's an important part of an integral part, if not one of the most important pieces, an integral part of a relationship and of if, connection of connection. And if it's not working, you know, for whatever reason, mental, physiological, biological, then it it's it's that relationship isn't be, do well. Yeah, it can be good to have a heads up. <laughs> Well, and, and you know, talk, talking about different personalities and, and different like love languages and all that stuff, some people, they that physical connection has to be there first, you know, like I'm the type of person where I, I fall in love with the mind, like my engagement has to be with the mind first, and then the rest falls into place. But some people for for some people sensory people that that physical connection has to be there first. And if you don't test it out, how do you know? And even if the mind connection works and the spiritual connection works, if that physical piece, we are mind, body, and spirit. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think for for a, a relationship to work, really work, all three of those have to be in sync. You know, so two, hey, two, two out of three is not enough. Mm. I agree. Do you think um, a lot of the reason, I, I can't even fathom why Christianity clings to this belief, but... Um, do you think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Jesus supposedly never had sex when he was on earth? Oh, this predates Jesus. This is that this doesn't is, help, but yeah. And and again, this is this is from this is from Hebrew scripture, Old Testament. So this this idea predates Jesus. Um, I I think because they saw uh, because sex was interpreted as something that was, you know, uh, 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 make us lose control uh, that that you know that whole jesus was pure virgin never engaged in sex i personally think you know and i have no way to substantiate this is your opinion and conjecture was imposed on him so that he he was he was sinless if you see sex as a sin i could see that having to be a requirement yeah absolutely for your savior you know well, what are you saying was imposed on him i missed that is his his not virginity at all and no i mean it never says in the bible he never had it doesn't say he had but it doesn't say he didn't have it was it was just not discussed or written yeah it's it's a big assumption that's right so we've imposed that upon him you know yeah. but you know yeah I mean, and so you know i, I would mary mary magdalene a lot i'm I find it hard to believe that <laughs> not, not napping on those, you know, cool nights on the Sea of Galilee when they were just sitting there and she was feeling chilly and, you know, he magically conjured up a fire and she's like, ooh, that was very cool. What else you got? You know, I'm, I'm reading between the lines of all the scriptures here. None of this is actually. Yeah. And, you know, the uh, the garden scene in John Gospel of John, uh, chapter 20, I believe, where. Uh, the resurrection scene, Jesus and Mary Magdalene, there's a lot of parallels there in uh, a commentary I was reading to uh, a scene in the Song of Solomon, you know, where the lover is searching for the beloved in this garden setting. And there's like, there's some parallels that are like, wow, was that sort of a template for, you know, John sort of sketching this scene 
did he have song of solomon in the background and that's one of the most sensual books is the most sensual book in the whole bible and 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 let's not also forget the the total um overlay of patriarchy in the bible as well yes So, so it's all about men and men's pleasure and being the the only people that counted um so therefore again you know if, when it comes to sex, if you're only worrying about the men being pleasured, then it's gonna be a short story. So you have <laughs> seriously, right? <laughs> the same. Just being honest here, yeah, tell the truth like it is. So again, it it became about you know the utilitarian, the the procreation, the the ex- expansion of of the tribe. I just, uh, but but speaking from like as human beings, like. Don't you enjoy it more when the person you're with is enjoying it too? Like oh, absolutely. <laughs> <they're> like... <laughs> absolutely. If they're enjoying yes. it more, I'm enjoying it more. Oh, absolutely. That's that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And I think your point, Ogan, about the patriarchy highlights what Tina mentioned earlier, that this goes back to, you know, ancient times, that there were there've just been different standards often for men and women. And, you know, the woman was the one who had to hold to this sort of virginal uh status and the men that was often less of a priority but the women you know they were viewed as property and in fact if you had sex with a woman then you kind of were now responsible for them there's some uh scriptures in uh the old testament that say if you've taken someone's virginity now you're responsible for her and you need to take her as your wife because you've quote unquote spoiled the goods so she doesn't have prospects anymore so she's now your responsibility but that that whole mentality is just so mm, unfortunate so how can we do a better job at in churches having our you know educating our children well i mean I, I i think it goes back to the very first question about or the second question about how we see ourselves um uh, what was the question? Um, uh, being comfortable in your own skin. Being comfortable in our own skin. That that is a major piece of it because you know, um, with a lot of teenagers today, sex is being used as a tool for acceptance, popularity, yeah. um, fitting in. You know, it's 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 about being. And if you're comfortable in your own skin, and that message is being sent, then sex becomes more of a um, an idea of of self-expression of, of who you are and sharing it with somebody, whether you do it at 16, 17, or you do it at 26 or 27 for the first time. Uh, and then, and then you hit 40 and you're like, you should be honored to be able to be with me. <laughs> well, you hit 40 and you in your prime. Us guys hit 40. We are like starting to go downhill. Oh. Hey, speak for yourself, brother. Oh, oh. <laughs> Shall, shall shall we shall we get your wife on the show to to <laughs> uh, that boast? <laughs> wow, wow! Call it, call it putting that up there. I'm being, sure. I'm being honest. I'm being honest. That would be a funny Touché. show. Touché. That would be a funny show if we all had our significant others. Ooh. My goodness! So uh, that'd be one of our uh, summer surprise shows. We just get, we that's just a get great them, idea. We get them to do the show. <laughs> it'll be the hot tub episode. <laughs> so you know you you asked can what can the church do around this you know when i was in seminary and you know taking uh counseling 
classes and and thinking about counseling couples, right, who are coming in for premarital counseling, there was still this mentality that if they're sleeping together, you you shouldn't do the wedding. You should not marry them if they're sleeping together. Like the, this, in many sections of the church, that's still how pastors are being trained, that you need to tell people well, you need to separate or you need to, you know, go my for first, six months where, you know, you don't see each other and take cold showers every day. My first question is, have you slept together yet? You haven't? Go do it now. Like, <laughs> Get get that out the way. No, You're like, I'll wait. I got Seriously. time. But this cracks me up, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> Won't take long if you haven't slept together. Trust me. Um, <laughs> but but this cracks me up because you know in the beginning they're like, oh, don't touch each other, don't sleep together. But then they, you know, they're not allowed to get divorced. Like that's insane to me <laughs> that you're binding yourself into this yes. long-term contract without having a full picture. So well, so that's me, right. That's let me right. play. Let me play devil's advocate. Let me play because I can do that, and I don't really believe what I'm about, what I'm saying. But devil's advocate is be, because you know, in in some traditions, there's this i there's this idea, and I think there's there's some there's some basis to this that sex is not something to be taken lightly. Sex is not something to be just you know. Um, so 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 the fact that you are. Um, Saving yourself, saving yourself for your life partner is is I think part of the idea is that this that this is something sacred. You're entering into a in, in many levels a sacred contract with this person if you're planning to be them with them for the rest of your life. It's, I I completely me, agree with you. Let me finish. It's a it's a holy contract, and as a result, all that happens within it is is holy including your sexual relationship. What I think the issue is, is that there's then not much talked about it afterwards. There's this idea that, you know, uh, we're human beings, so we naturally know how to do sex well because our bodies were built for it. And therefore we can tell people, uh, some churches can say to people, this is something you need to say for your marriage. And your marriage is going to be good because marriage is good. And that will work itself out as opposed to saying to people, you know what? This too is a skill set. This is something that you need to be educated about. This is something that if it's not going well, go see a sex therapist. Go, go to sex ed classes. Go educate yourself on how to do it. There's, there's not a lot of follow through. But if you're preaching that it's not something women are supposed to enjoy, why would you be telling people that? I don't think anybody's really preaching that anymore. I think they are, Ogan. There's uh, Google I mean, it on the internet. Google fringes. it on the internet. Fringes, I think. And, the, and let me back up for a second. Just because something's sacred doesn't mean it has to be for a lifetime. Oh, so I, the fact that you have to wait until you're married to have sex, to me, that doesn't make it sacred. That makes it a trap. So uh, um, yes. again, I was just playing devil's advocate, but I'm just saying this is this is the underlying message, and I I I agree that is I mean it is a really you know when you think about it, um, um, sex is something that incorporates everything your mind your soul your body your spirit it is a sacred encounter mm -hmm. on so many levels. No, I don't think it needs to be saved for marriage on the least bit, but but and I don't mean to sound like old man fuddy duddy here, but I think this idea that um it it's the uh 
casual sex, for example, it's it's it holds a weird place in our society today. The hookup culture and all that. It's it's interesting because th- there's this idea that, and and I'm not saying this from a bad or good perspective. It it is what it is, but the thought that there is that that we hook up with other people and it's and I mean this is the culture of where we are now and that we don't have any emotional connection or it doesn't it doesn't affect us in any way is uh, a misnomer when we have sex the flood of endorphins and other stuff going on in our brains we we bond with the person and i just don't mean physically i mean there is a bond emotionally physiologically spiritually that we make with that person whether we see them again or not whether we acknowledge it or not that bond is made when we connect sexually and um, so, so to that respect, it's I see I see the somewhat flawed logic, but I see the logic behind you know more traditional churches saying this is not something to be used lightly or or played with lightly. Um, but again, the yeah. flip side or the paradox is again that doesn't mean it shouldn't be experienced. It shouldn't. Well, there's no way yeah. you're that what's going on. And this is coming from me who jumped right from a marriage into a long-term relationship, but I'm going to, I'm going to play this part because I see other people live this kind of lifestyle and I, I kind of respect it. I, what is wrong with having a momentary connection with someone? Like you said, you can, you can connect with somebody on every level. Like I know people who have had sex, have had amazing sex together and stayed friends afterwards. But it was a once and done thing and they were still friends. And that's just kind of how they live their lives. And they're perfectly cool with that. But you know, they have that connection sometimes and that's it. And I'm not saying it's wrong. No, no, no. So yeah, don't 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 misunderstand what I'm saying. I am not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying the underlying a lot of the underlying message of the hookup culture is that you just have sex and that's it. And I'm saying that that can take an emotional toll because a connection mm-hmm. is made, um, and as long as you're aware of that going in, you know, then your choice is your choice. I'm not against the hookup culture. I, I don't want to say that. Uh, I don't want you to hear me saying that. But but don't be cavalier about it. It it yeah. will take a toll eventually. Um, well, and and yeah, and I hear what you're saying now because I think there's there's a flip side to that where the people are just hooking up to hook up and doing it for that endorphin rush. And you're no better than a drug addict at that point. Well, it is, it can be a drug, a good one, yeah. but you know, yeah. Well, and so how do you find that balance? Right. I think, you know, that we don't want to go on one extreme or the other. And I think as Tina noted, in many cases, the traditional approach of the church is kind of a trap. Like you have to wait until you're married. And then once you're married, you're stuck, you're not allowed to leave. And, and that just, creates a lot of unhealthy situations. Uh, but then as Ogan said, you know, let's have more openness, but also be aware of what we're entering into when we engage in sex. And that's part of the educating our children, educating ourselves. Here's what it means to have this kind of physical right. connection. Here's what that connection uh, is going to mean to you emotionally. Here's what can happen physically when you engage in this with someone. Here are the possible outcomes. And we need to help people engage all those levels. And then they need to do the best they can to decide when they're ready to engage or not engage at that level. And and to be comfortable with their own bodies and their own personalities to know what works for them and what is right for them. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the thing that we need to get away from is this idea that if you're a virgin, you're somehow pure in the eyes of God or perfect, right? And yeah. and then the, the thing that happens is that once that's gone, unfortunately, in many circles of the church, then then you're somehow less. And that just, that needs to stop yesterday. I totally agree. Agreed. Agreed. And and it starts with education or educating our children at a young age. Um, have the conversations about sex, no matter no matter yeah. what your views on it are, whether you think it's That's right. something that should be saved for marriage, or you are encouraging or not encouraging, but are you know open about uh, sex anytime. But uh, talk to your kids. I remember <laughs> I remember when Joy was in fourth grade. And, 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 you know, we were the kind of parents who, who were about, you know, educating her and having conversations with her, you know, age appropriate books that tried to explain sex that were quite comical, but, you know, they got the message across. And when she was in fourth grade, she came home and said, you know, a friend in class there, um, she came to school and said, you know, the stork brought her baby brother last night. And Joy, and Joy says, I didn't have the heart to tell her that's not how babies are made. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's my girl. That's my girl. And, and if you're uncomfortable talking to your kids about it, LaylaMartin.com. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> oh, spell this out for our guests and for L-A-Y-L-A-M-A-R-T-I-N.com. Layla Martin. Um, she's, she's really incredible. She went through a lot of, of, you know, issues with body image and sexuality through her life. And she, she's just really open about, um, how couples can pleasure each other and, um, make it a really spiritual, beautiful experience. There's nice. my plug for Layla. There we go. <laughs> Watch them first before you shame your kids. So just, well, yeah, I'm not talking like fourth, fourth graders. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> talking like, your 18 year old virgin <laughs> preview the content first parents too late no no no, mm -hmm. no. yeah 12 11 i mean yeah. come on i i was a public school teacher there were middle schoolers having sex you you, you got at this age and this is 20 what is it 2017 you gotta start talking with kids like about sex when they're like six. Oh, i'll be right back i need to go have some conversation <laughs> I am not exaggerating, and it is it is horrifying. It, it I is, think six is a little young. Yeah. No, I don't think so. They're like nine year olds having sex. Stop. Oh, yeah, I please. Not, no, I'm not. I'm not kidding. I am not kidding. And well, it, you may not be, but I yeah. no. And and that that all comes with the you know if if they felt loved and accepted and they. Your, your hormones aren't kicking in at that age. You're not prepared no, no, for sex no, no, at that I'm, age. I'm, I am. You're not. You're right. You're not prepared for sex at that age, but the hormones have kicked in. And sometimes they are nine and 10 year, years old. Oh, it's, where, it's, wow. it's the chicken in the milk. They're putting the hormones in the chicken in the milk. Yeah, I was going to say that that that's, has to do with our, uh, something in the, but something puberty, in something. Puberty has kicked in and all of a sudden it's like other people, you know, it's, it, it's happening. It, it's been happening for years. And so we're, we're changing the diet. So they're having hormonal episode, you know, changes earlier. And we're telling them to wait another 10, 20 years to actually act well, on it. Well, the, this the, is the, insane. Uh, we're all freaking saints. If we can do that. It's a, it's a whole thing. So it's about starting education at an early age. And it's really about not making, not 
reinforcing the shame story. Yes, I think that's exactly right. Exactly right. Going through the Bible and all these Bible stories, like I mean, look at David, like like you know the David and, and Bathsheba story was like here's here's Israel's greatest king David, and yeah. what happens? He lusts after a woman, murders, basically set to the murder of her husband, and he gets punished for it. You yeah. know, so not saying yeah. not saying killing a woman's husband to get her is okay. That's not okay. <laughs> No, no more conversations like, son, have you ever heard of the story of Onan? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be confused with Ogan. Let's, 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 pronounce her, let's pronounce her constant. Yeah, I, I, I was trying to. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so what about the space in the church for people who are wrestling in their relationships, wherever that is, right? Whether they're, someone's trying to work through something or whether someone feels like, man, I might need to leave this relationship, even though we made that, you know, covenant uh, together. What kind of space do you think we need? And is there for that kind of wrestling and the messiness of human relationships? I think part of the issue underlying this is that somehow we think God cares. We think somehow God cares about our sex life. We think somehow God cares about our love life. And, you know, God doesn't care. God uh, you know, oh. from my perspective, God's God's not a being that cares about anything. <laughs> that is so depressing. <laughs> but no, it is liberating. It is liberating because I no longer feel that pressure of I need to appease a God based on my life decisions. It's not depressing. It is liberating. And that's why I left the traditional church because I was always so worried about is what I am doing, quote unquote, okay in the sight, in the eyes of the Lord? You know, and how do I know if it's okay or not? I got to look to the Bible. And what does the Bible tell me? That I shouldn't be masturbating or having sex. That's the interpretation that was given to me. You right. Know? And that God is watching while I'm doing those things. Right. And God is watching, like, like you know. What a perverted God. Right. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> how voyeuristic is that? Okay. Not right. Not uh, right. That's, that's not okay. That messes with the head of a teenager whose hormones are raging. So, 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 God, I mean, come on, God, you think really in in the millennia and timelessness of all that is that really God cares about my individual sex life? No, God, God is love. God is think- love. However, that love is expressed between two healthy people. God is love. Yeah, Do I you think. think- God, Brian. Nope. Do you think the church is afraid of losing control of people if? they change their stance on sex? No, I don't think, I don't think that's an issue. I don't, I honestly, I don't, no matter what branch of church you're at, I don't think control is an issue anymore as much. I no, I I don't think, no. I feel like, Ogan, so many times on this show, I feel like you live in a bubble. Yeah, he's, he's saying things. I'm just not sure. (laughs) It's about control. Um, the world you know, is not unity on the river, my friend. Uh, okay, fealty and loyalty, maybe, but not control. Okay, because no matter where you are, people leave churches all the time. So you, there are people who may be in a very, very strict traditional Christian evangelical church, whatever, and they're trying to follow and if the rules, and if something happens, what do they do? They end up leaving the church and going and do their thing. So I don't. I don't, Logan, come on. There are so many people 
so many more people that stay in the church and just feel depressed no. and yeah. controlled. And you are yes. in a bubble, my a friend. You are in feel such like they a bubble. Can't leave. Hang on, hang on. I can't leave their marriages, can't leave their church. I agree yep. with all of that. And I also know that more and more people are not falling into that. More and more people leave. I've seen more people uh, who would rather, who have left a church or left their religion. And it's sad because they feel my marriage is not working. I got to divorce this guy or this woman. And I know my church is going to shame me. So I am. I get to a place where I leave my church. It happens both ways. Well, you know what? God bless those people for actually doing it. Because I know a lot of people that stay in those marriages because they think God's going to punish them if they leave. Oh, yeah. That that still happens. That still happens. Some do. Uh, But I think in this day and age, more and more people are willing to say, I am not going to do that. Are there still people who do it? Absolutely. But there are more and more people who are willing to say, you know what? It's not worth the miserable years to stay in this relationship this marriage and this church and they leave them all and it's sad to brian's point what can the church do that what i think the church needs to do is accept those people continue to accept those people regardless of what choice they make about their relationships and And can we yes and can we have sacred ceremonies for divorce Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Conscious so uncoupling. We, yes, yes. So that we could honor what has yes. been and release it back to God and then respectfully say, we're moving into the new next phase of our lives. Yeah, we're moving in and different ways. That way it's honored in the community. Uh, it's not something hush hush or backdoor or only in the lawyer's office. It right. becomes sacred. Yeah. Even that departing becomes sacred. Brian, I love that. I think you should write a book about that. I really do, because I think it's so necessary in today's day and age. Well, someone at our at our pub theology last night, I believe, mentioned that there may actually be a form in the Episcopal Church liturgy uh, where there's actually a, a form for divorce, and I think that's beautiful. Well, in unity, we don't <gasps> forms; we just do that it. Um, you just <laughs> you'd be way beyond forms. You're way beyond forms. We're post form. <laughs> We, we are we are we are post form um but yes but that, you have great one they, there you go but but i do know some couples who've done that who've who've mutually agreed that that the relationship the marriage is is no longer what they want to experience and they mm-hmm. constantly do a spiritual uh separation ceremony and spiritual release and it is it is almost as beautiful as a wedding um mm-hmm. uh, to, to do that and i think that is a spiritually healthy way to to approach this and and it's, and it's so healthy healthy for the kids to see that sometimes people just move on and it's okay that you can still be kind to each other and yeah exactly yeah. we we human beings you know uh when when you look at human beings as from an evolutionary perspective monogamy is a fairly like recent thing in terms of 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 coupling i mean even even I in the bible this is going. even in the bible <laughs> even even in the bible monogamy doesn't exist now watch yourself because monogamy didn't exist for men but it existed for women Ooh. well good good point often true often true that's good exactly point. right good good point I, women I, were stoned con- to concubine, death for that yeah concubines tended to be female mm-hmm. i i see i see to that point um but but again, that's that's kind of become the official standard 
for relationship and and it and it shouldn't be it should be about what uh it should be about what the people what works for the people for some people monogamy works great if you partner with someone and monogamy is your thing awesome if it's not get with somebody who it's not for them either and be okay with that there's yeah. so there's so many ways a healthy relationship can out picture but yeah. you know that's one of those things you should be evenly yoked about <laughs> i think that's right exactly but we shame but we we kind of like as a culture more often than not shame people who might be into polyamory who might be into open relationships who who you know have alternative yeah. You know, and and that's that's not okay. Uh, if, if well, it's one of those things. You know, it's not okay for me. I don't want it for me. But hey, you do your thing. You know, it's no different than homosexuality or you know any of that. Yeah, and that's what it's I want to say to to traditional you know slash evangelical Christians who are all about marriage as one man and one woman and and you got to stay monogamous. I'm like, have you read the Bible? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It also I, says where two or three are gathered. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there, there you go. Three ways and orgies are a holy act. Oh man. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Brian said it. Um. Mm. So so again, it's like Brian said it. It must be true. Must be true. Where where did that where did that shift happen? That suddenly the emphasis is that monogamy equals holy. I mean, that's that's never been the case in the Bible in any way, shape, or form. I tell you what, if this was a matriarchal world that we lived in instead of patriarchal, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Ah, that's probably true. Mm. That is probably true. And when you, yeah, and when you look at uh, whether they be mythical or what, mythical societies where women were equal to men or mythical and actual. Wait, I was gonna say um, it had to be mythical if women were equal. What's what's no, that all about? Maybe okay, maybe that's not the right term. It's not. <laughs> I don't think it is. So maybe I there. Know, hey, I'm even calling the Bible as mythical, okay? When I say mythical, <laughs> I'm talking about like. You, you mean know. ancient that we don't have a lot of solid details on? There you go. Thank you. Because much. Christianity burned all the texts. Thank, thank, <laughs> thank, thank, thanks for bailing me out. Appreciate that. <laughs> no problem. No problem. Appreciate that. Oh, uh, so, wow. You know, I feel like we could do a second episode on this. This is a lot of good stuff. And I think. I think we just don't talk about this stuff enough. Uh, I think, you know, I was a little reticent when Tina's like, hey, we should talk about sex, but we do need to talk about this. Absolutely. And if my conversation at my local pup theology last night was any indication, like people were starving for it. They're like, oh, it's so good to have an open, safe space where we can just talk about this. Yeah. yeah. And for clarification, I'm pretty sure I said we should talk about masturbation too. Because that's another thing that it's okay for guys, but not girls. Let's talk about that in the post show. We can we can throw about in the it. surprise episode. <laughs> <laughs> wow! I, so I, let's 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 talk about that briefly after. Encourage people yeah, to. I might need beer. another beer. Okay. <laughs> another shot. <laughs> a shot of courage. So, any final word of wisdom? Yeah, sex is beautiful, and it should be explored and enjoyed as a spiritual practice and it shouldn't be shameful and everybody is beautiful every body is beautiful here here i don't know there's much to add to that other than know yourself uh in in, in, in all ways 
Brian, just say it out loud. <laughs> or, or as Nike says, just do it. <laughs> nice. I didn't want to say it because that's not nice. exactly the message I'm trying to give across here. I don't know that that's my yes, final, Come that's on. my final word. Own up to it. Somehow it just came to mind. It's yeah. funny. That is the but message. I think I, I echo Tina's thoughts that sex and physical connection are beautiful gifts uh, from God, and we ought to celebrate them as such. We ought to see uh, the weight that they carry, but also uh, realize that they're gifts for us to enjoy. So that's my final word. Well said. All right. Thanks for tuning in, friends, to Pub Theology Live extra sexy episode you can connect <laughs> and spread the word on social media show, show title show title extra sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. you can connect on social media if you're enjoying an episode of ours man tweet it out facebook post it let your friends know leave a review on itunes there you go leave a review on itunes and you can Download or listen to our podcast anytime on your favorite podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, what have you. If you want to have a conversation like this in your town, check out the directory at pubtheology.com. I think there's over 120 groups around the country and more uh, that are having conversations just like this at a local brewery, uh, pub, or bar near you. And if there's not one, you'll find resources to start your own. Thank you again to our sponsors, Wink Wine Club, who you'll find at TriWink, that's Wink with a C, TriWink.com slash PT Live, and Casual Priest at CasualPriest.com. Until next time, friends, drink responsibly and keep those conversations flowing. <laughs>
uh, something that comes between two people in a relationship. Porn can, alcohol can, TV can, and it, you know, any anything can. And I think, um, but but again, yes, porn sent porn has this like double edged sword of um, um, sending this message of this is what it should be when it's not because it's all fake and fictionalized. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the same point in time, you know, there's there's this a there's a lot of judgment around it and a lot of stigma around it. And in some cases, it's it's helped relationships, it's enhanced relationships. Um, I I hear what you're saying. I do. Okay, but I'm thinking like porn is no different than Photoshop, where guys are disappointed if the girls don't have double D whatever and big poofy blonde hair and tons of makeup on and are making these ungodly noises. It, you know, like it's just so fake. It's just acting like everything oh, no, else. I, like I agree with you. That's what I meant by it's fictionalized. It is. It is fictionalized. It's not the reality i mean they're categories that talk about the reality so so nowadays i mean you know pornography encounters everything from that fictionalized uh you know perf quote unquote perfect image to to the reality to real people to like amateur stuff that's not these perfect did you ever see don john i did that was a great movie awesome movie um um and, so, and so, i yeah. take back I, I take back what I said earlier, um, Brian. I think Ogan's dark side is much darker than yours and mine. Seriously, <laughs> no, no. But but you know, in all in all seriousness, it, you know, in all seriousness, this is because of growing up in in a community where sex was spoke about in a negative way, where he had this idea: sex is sinful, sex is wrong. It's wrong to feel these feelings. It's wrong to masturbate. God is watching you. I mean, that did a number on me. And, you know, I didn't reconcile that till well into my late 20s, like after I was married, you know, and and this is this is what this is the downside of this message, you know, and it took a lot of conversations with therapists. It took a lot of conversations and and and, uh, you know, with with my wife at the time, it was it was it was a lot to turn around uh, from that. And even, even now, you know, when we talk about embedded theology, when we talk about, you know, those first ideas about things related to God that are, that are stuck in the back of your brain, you, you know, like, like even though I can consciously overcome and have that stuff, you know, it's, it's still, it's still there. And, and that shouldn't be anything anyone has to carry. No one should ever feel ashamed about their sexuality but that's that's the message that came across like i literally as a teenager when i had sex for the first time i literally thought like driving home from a girlfriend's house at the time that the ground would open up and i'll be swallowed into the flames of yes. hell exactly. well thought that i had in my head you, that didn't happen it uh, i'm here so apparently not <laughs> <laughs> you know but no, but this no is doubt. I mean, walking around as a, as a 16, 17 year old with this thought in my head, that's, that's messed up, you know? Yes. Yes. And the church was geared to make you feel exactly that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, it, it was, and, and it's kind of dangerous and, you know, the same, same thing about masturbation. Masturbation wasn't promoted as a healthy alternative uh, necessarily. Even that too was sinful because of that, that whole on yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And I'm, right. You know, that's no, 
no if if whether you're a teenager or an adult if you're not masturbating like you're not you're not having a healthy sex life i don't think that's a bold claim but i actually read that in an article this week that that people that do masturbate have healthier marriages and healthier sex lives because they're in touch with their own body and their own needs and it like i said earlier it is a stress reliever absolutely it, it, chemically it changes your body it, it does and to your point yes it teaches you about yourself that you can then say to your partner you know here's here's how i work here's what i prefer here's what i don't prefer mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of those conversations are also you know um challenging between <laughs> challenging between couples because of the underlying shame whether they were kids or in or in the church setting so yeah yeah no i think i think that's right i think the 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 shame culture is is so high that you know parents don't know how to talk to their kids about this stuff and then the official messages you're getting is anything sexual is bad and if it's not one man uh one woman then it's a problem and of course you know we need, need to have a much wider conversation obviously today uh you know i need to be willing to have conversations with my kids about masturbation, about attraction to women, about attraction to men, if that's the way that they're wired. Yeah. Uh, and I, I'm open to that. I don't, you know. Hang that about stuff. how to pleasure the people they're attracted to. Hang yeah. that stuff on the doorknob so nobody walks in on you. You know. Yeah. <laughs> you got it. You, seriously, have that conversation with your kids. <laughs> Wait, what do you put on the doorknob? I, I need to write this down talk on the doorway and and have the conversation with the kids about what to expect when they walk in on you because that's always fun wow <laughs> when, when, when your kids walk in on you for the first time having my sex. kids never walking? walked in on me and i oh never walked God. in on my parents oh my every God. one of my siblings walked in on my parents but me oh my god oh. i remember the first time joy walked in on us that 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 was i'm so grateful i didn't have that experience <laughs> that was life-changing for all of us oh <laughs> uh, we have not yet had that experience but it's gonna happen sometime my friend you got four kids it's gonna it happen. really might it really right, might. i was gonna say your kids don't usually admit it until they're older <laughs> good point they're quiet yeah. they're like whoa we were unaware we were preoccupied exactly right. you didn't see him walk in um, I do like that last question, though, that you have, that quote from uh, Elizabeth Gilbert. Oh, yeah, yeah. But what right. is it? What is it? I love her. Yeah. So she says, um, she's talking about being in a relationship that she thinks she's ready to leave, but isn't sure. She says, the only thing more unthinkable than leaving was staying. The only thing more impossible than staying was leaving. I didn't want to destroy anything or anybody. I just wanted to slip quietly out the back door without causing any fuss or consequences and then not stop running until I reached Greenland. I get it. Yeah. I get that too. I think I think for me it gets to the point of when when you get clear that it's it's either it's either myself and when I say myself I mean my soul, who I am, all that I love about me. If it comes down to like I'm at this point where it's either myself or this relationship, like you gotta choose yourself. And yeah, and it's a parallel that it's um, does this still feel healthy to me? You know, yeah. you you do a dance in a relationship where you come together and you you drift apart, but in, in the end, the balance is does this still feel healthy? 
And is health possible? You know, even if it in this moment doesn't feel healthy, but can you envision scenarios in which, you know, both sides working can create a healthy environment? And sometimes you just can't see that as a possibility. Yeah. Yep. You can't. And and the difficult and the really difficult part about it is like you said, knowing knowing when. Um, you know, so uh so Tina knows this. Um like uh, you know, with with Jennifer and myself, you know, Jennifer passed away in 2015. She was diagnosed with stage four, like colon cancer, like right at the beginning of 2015. But but what a lot of people don't know is that at that point, our relationship was at that crossroad. Like we were we were in a place where we were like seriously asking ourselves this question: Have we gone as far as we can go? as a couple in in relationship in in marriage and we were we were wrestling with that and we were struggling with that and it and it didn't look good a lot of times um and and i think we were getting to that place and you know where we where 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 we were really resisting that thought of you know maybe we're maybe this is it maybe we we've come to that point where we got to part ways and um and, and 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 it it's a place we had touched on before, but then did the work to reconnect, um, um, and 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 we got to this point of like maybe there's nothing, there's no work we can do this time, but then you know she the diagnosis came and that shifted everything, but but it's a really it's a really tough place because you don't want to go like all right I'm out when it when it you might have just needed to do some work and save it because you know in the course of a long-term relationship your personality involve evolves who you are evolves and if you're not the same person at you know 38 that you were at 28 the relationship has to change as well how you relate to each other mm-hmm. and sometimes that takes work and new learning so you can do it and then you know everything's okay but sometimes it's not and you really don't know and, and, you know, I know you guys make fun of me for this, but this is the point where I really think you really have to follow your instincts and you have to enter the silence. And because you can sit there and wrestle all day with the pros and cons and listen to other stories and listen to, you know, success stories or people that, you know, left their marriages and worked out or left their marriages and wish they hadn't or people that worked it out or people that stayed in their marriage and they still hate it. excuse me, but the truth is it's your own personal experience and even your spouse doesn't know what you're going through. So it's, it's entering that silence and really exploring yourself and, and following your instincts. And when I learned to do that and I learned to trust that is when I really found beauty in Mm. being with another human being. Yeah. Good word. Good word. Yeah. And it's all the more difficult when kids are involved. (laughs) That's totally right. That's just a whole other other layer. Because then you're like, is this what's best for them or is that what's best for them? But a friend told me, and I totally agree, whatever is best for you is what's best for your children because they're watching you. Uh, I was about to say the same thing. You can't, it's that saying, you can't help others until you help yourself. Mm. Yes. So. And they're, they're, you're their model for a relationship. And, you know, for as you guys know what I've been through in the last few years and um, it breaks my heart you know, like to think of what my kids have been through, but people keep, well, I'll call him out on it. Will tells me, he's like, the son you're worried about is going to marry a woman just like you. 
And <laughs> that actually makes me really happy because I'm like, had I stayed in my marriage and he married a woman like that, I wouldn't have been so proud of him. But if he marries a woman like I am now, I'd be really proud of him. You know what I mean? Like, not that I'd be proud of him, but I know he'd be happier and better off. We, we, we marry your parents. That's, I mean, that's, that's been proven so many ways. Um, I want him to marry somebody where I'm at now. <laughs> well, exa exactly. Yeah. There, there's that. I, I think it depends on what age you're at when you get married. Uh, I'm fairly clear at 24, I married someone who was just like my mother. In fact, they, they were like, they were like best buds, you know, and, and, oh, and I could see that right? <laughs> you've met Jennifer, you've met my mom, you, know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, and it was, it was fascinating because when they first met, there was an initial button of heads because their personalities were just mm -hmm. the same. But then my mother was like, oh, you know, she didn't say it out loud, but she got to that place of realizing, oh, he's going to be okay because she's just like me, right? Well, yeah, except that I left Barbados to get away. <laughs> anyway, so maybe so, maybe not, you know. Brian, is Chrissy like your mom was when you were 27? That's hard to say. Maybe she was at that time, but I feel like you two have both learned and grown together. Yeah, we, I mean, so we're two totally different people than we were when we met. And if we hadn't both changed, it'd be real trouble. Like if one of us yeah. was connected to the one from when we met, we would yes. say that person is a problem. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> but we, we've, evolved, we've evolved together. So that's been, that's been that's great. That's beautiful. That's the, most, that's the most beautiful thing anyone can hope for in a relationship. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. that's and and right. to give the other person the space to do that and realize yeah. that that's going to happen, you yeah. know? It's not, you're not the same, the person who you married is not going to be the same person 5, 10, 15, 20 years down the road and you're going to shift. So true. And it happens where the journeys happen and they diverge big time, you know, like I know people who are going on, you know, just wrestling with all kinds of things about God and faith and I don't know what I believe and the other person's like, no, this is what we believe. What's wrong with you? Why can't you come back to where we know is true? And the other person's like, I don't know what's true. Don't make me fit in that little square peg anymore. I don't fit. And once you turn to color TV, you can't go black, back to black and white and still be happy. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah, hey, hey, there are some great black and white art films. I will I'm saying, but you wouldn't watch it all the time, Understood. Ogan. Understood. You know what I, I mean? Yeah. It's okay to be nostalgic every once in a while, but once you take that step forward and you're like, mm, I see a bigger picture than I saw before. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. I'll still watch a I'll still watch a black and white movie, but it's on my like 4K high def TV. So there it's is. a wonderful life is still my favorite Christmas movie, and it always will be. I weep every year, every year. I'm weeping. Nice. It. You know what, Brian? When you post the show, you probably might want to put a disclaimer. You may want to listen to this before you sh you do it with kids. Let your kids listen. To this. I don't think anyone. We, kids we said that earlier. That's in the show already. Put it put it on the written description when you post it on SoundCloud. Oh, again, people don't play this for their kids. If you don't, no, no, no. Oh, you're saying for this episode, put a disclaimer for this episode. You don't know when people put this on in the car and they're driving and they got kids in the car. You don't know. So, so what do we say? Age nine and up? Uh, I'm not we? saying put it age. Just say we discuss we discuss things that may not be suitable. Yes. For adult, yes, adult this content. This is what I say when, when people ask me, because Zandrell is pretty much for teens and older, and they ask me about 10 to 12-year-olds, and I say, read it yourself first, 
because every parent is different in their discretionary agreed practices. So yeah, oh, that's good. That's good. Same thing. Agreed. But we gotta we gotta give them. I think it's I think it's a heads up. No, head. no, I uh, agreed. Thank you, for dude. That. If the total is our sexiest episode, I'm pretty sure gonna pre-listen to it. <laughs> You yeah. know what? Some parents can't be trusted. Kids are going to be hiding in the basement <laughs> with their earbuds on listening to this episode. <laughs> we see you, kiddos. We see you. Mom, what's masturbation? Oh, goodness. <laughs> hey, it's been real, friends. All right. Have a good night, guys. You're right. We'll go Celtics. We've got to go finish watch the game. Celtics, Celtics. All right. Good. All right. All right. Bye. Good night.